Welcome to the Field of Church podcast. Our church inhales and exhales the gospel every Sunday and is excited to bring our messages to you here. Thank you for joining us and we hope God moves in your life as you listen into this feed. So this morning as we continue in our sermon series, I, I figured I needed some backup. I, I got you. I, you got to know this, man. I've been struggling to preach into a camera with an empty building. So I, I asked the worship team to come on back out here. And listen, guys, I, I want you to know I, I've been missing some amen. And so I'm expecting some praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Even if it's not a good point, just just say something. And the funniest thing happened, my children, I was telling them how much I'm struggling with this. In the last week, we were watching the sermon. Here we are in my living room. My kids are going, yeah. Amen, Daddy. Praise Jesus. Like totally the wrong time and everything, just trying to make me feel better. So I would, I would appreciate if you would do that too. Uh, I need some encouragement as I continue to preach into this camera. But, you know, I, guys, I was thinking, as I look around this world, I, I feel like our world has gone crazy. Like our world has lost its marbles. I don't, do you guys feel that way? Like you look around, you see... You see violence, you see hatred, you see division and politics and just downright evil. The part where you look around the world and you go, man, something's got to change. But what I hear so often when people look at this crazy world, I hear them say, man, come Lord Jesus. And, and right, yeah, man, I, I feel the same thing. Like, amen, come Lord Jesus, because we're saying nothing's really going to fix this but Christ's return. But I'm, I'm really curious sometimes if we don't say that, as a way to wash our hands. Like, you know, man, this world's gone crazy. I can't do anything about it, so come Lord Jesus. And we sit back and think it's not up to us to change. And God is saying, yeah, absolutely, I'm gonna come back and make things right, but until then, you are my church, and I'm calling you to change the world. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul was telling Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to open your Bibles, if you will. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, behind me, you guys, you got to be in your word. Don't fall asleep because the whole world is watching right now. So they're going to be in their Bible. I hope you got your Bible, your phone, whatever you're using. Find 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, while you're turning there, I want to make sure you're caught up with us. So I know there's always guests with us. We are in a journey through the two letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. We finished up two weeks ago, 1 Timothy. Last week, we began 2 Timothy. Now, it was interesting, gave you some history of it if you weren't able to watch it, but Paul is incarcerated in this cold, dark prison in Rome, and he knows his death is coming. He's been tried and convicted. He's just waiting his execution. So these are his last words, and he's charging Timothy to do something with his life. Last week, we talked about how Paul approached Timothy with one of his greatest things, issues that Timothy had, his fear. And he said, Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of power and of love and of level-headedness or self-control. Now this week, Paul is going to tell Timothy what he can do with his new spirit and how that spirit can change the world. And my hope with these guys behind me and you watching is that we'll believe God can still use us to change the world because of the spirit he put inside of us. Let's turn to the word, 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who's enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now stop there for a second. 
So right here at the very beginning, Paul gave Timothy the secret to how to change the world. He gave him the secret sauce to how to revolutionize everything around them in this sick, twisted world that was just as much around them as it is to us today. He said, here's how you make the change. It's very simple. You saw it in verse two. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, Timothy, I've given you this big, beautiful, amazing thing called the gospel. I've entrusted it to you. I've embedded it in you. I want you to take this beautiful message, Timothy, and I want you to pass it on to other people who can take that message and pass it on to other people who can pass it on to other people. He's saying we are supposed to be contagious with the gospel. I'm supposed to sneeze the gospel on Kyle. He sneezes it on Kimena, goes over to Reggie, goes over to Aaron. So this gospel continues to spread person to person to person as we entrust it to more and more people. This is the greatest missionary strategy the world has ever seen, bit by bit, slowly and surely. At Fielder, we call this the simple task of making disciples, where we make disciples of people. We put inside of people learning and teaching and experience. We invest in people, but they're supposed to take that and invest it in other people who invested in other people. That's the movement dynamics. Disciples making disciples making disciples. By the way, this was the very strategy of Jesus. Now, I'm sure if, if you saw, stopped and thought about the way Jesus changed the world, you'd be shocked. Yeah, most of us, I don't know, Kyle, what do you think? When, when you think about Jesus changing the world, you think, well, do some miracles, right? Yeah, like if, you, if you do some miracles, if you draw big old crowds, fill these big places up, that's how he changed the world. But that wasn't his strategy at all. His strategy was to take these 12 backwoods nobodies and give his life to them for three years. In fact, if you really look at the, the Gospels, you see he gave most of his attention to three people, Peter, James, and John, the inner circle. He invested all of his life in them. And here we are 2,000 years later, and there have been billions and billions of followers of this man named Jesus. Why? Because he began the movement the same way he told us to do it. He invested in a few who invested in more and invested in more and invested in more until the whole world was changed. That's how you change the world. It's that easy. <laughs> now, if... If you think making disciples is easy, uh, you probably have never done it before. I am certain that if you have tried to make a disciple, you know how hard it is. Now, I'm not going to ask Reggie to amen it because I don't want to embarrass the people in his, in his discipleship group. But I know that if you are in a discipleship group, you're discipling somebody else, you know the complexities of this. It is so hard to disciple somebody else because to disciple them means that they're going to change. And nobody wants to change. The only time we're willing to change is when we're in crisis. But by the time we're in crisis, things are so out of control, we, it's hard for us to learn anything new. Making disciples is exceptionally hard. That's why so few, few people do it. Making disciples requires intentionality. It, it requires patience. requires humility. It requires knowing someone is likely going to hurt you and you're okay with that. requires forgiveness requires giving it every single bit that you've got and more. Making disciples is really, really hard. I wonder, Kimena, have I talked you out of it now? Are you, you ready not to make a disciple? I, I feel like I might do that by accident, talk you out of making disciples. But I, I feel like I've got to be honest with you too. I don't, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Making disciples is exceptionally hard. But let me tell you this, it is absolutely worth it. It's worth it because this is the greatest adventure of your life. Making disciples, the very thing Jesus did, changing the world around you is the greatest adventure of your life. And I don't want you to miss it. I don't know if you guys saw the pre-service last week. We had Betty Marvin who was doing the pre-service. Like if you, if you didn't see the pre-service last week, you should go back and watch it. There's this beautiful woman named Betty Marvin 
who we sent up to Seattle, Washington about a year ago. What's so intriguing about her is she is a widow in her 80s and she went up there to be a part of a church plant so that she could make disciples in Seattle, Washington. And her story is so inspiring. Like, who does that? You know, who, who says, no, God's not done with me. I'm going to go. Well, Betty did. And I knew we had her just for a week. And so when we had our pre-service, we wanted to get a quick interview with her. And I knew I needed to ask her the question. So I said, Betty, your story is so inspirational. If you could tell us just one thing, one thing that would inspire us, what would you want to tell us? Here's what she said. She said, I would want to tell them that I would never miss an opportunity to go on an adventure with God. Holy cow, is that not powerful? God would, I would never miss an opportunity to go on an adventure with God. And here's a woman who's done it. In her 80s going, I'm going to Seattle, Washington, where my family is not, where my friends are not, because I don't want to miss an adventure with God, because an adventure with God is better than anything else. I think this is the same thing that the Word of God is trying to teach us. Yes, it's hard to make disciples, but it is the adventure of your life. Don't miss it. That's what Paul was telling Timothy. He was saying, Timothy, I want you to know you've been saved for, for a purpose. It is to make disciples who make disciples and invest in others who can invest in others to start this movement that will change the world. Don't miss it. But Paul shot straight with Timothy and he told him it's going to be hard. It's going to be, it's going to take everything you've got. So he gives him three things that he would need to do in order to make this happen because of the complexity and the difficulty of it. Three things, the same three things I want to say to you today. Paul was telling Timothy, you got to stay connected. You got to stay focused and you got to stay hopeful. Those are the three things that I'm going to cover for the rest of the time I have with you. Three things, and you can see them taking notes back here. You should be taking notes where you are too, so get you. Uh, you want me to say it again, Reggie? Okay, I'm going to say it again. You got to stay connected. You got to stay focused, and you got to stay hopeful. Those are the three things that you're going to have to do if you want to join God in this wild adventure of changing the world. So I'm going to start with the first one. Very first thing you, you got to know is if you hope to endure this calling to make disciples, to change the world, you got to stay connected. That's what he was getting at in verse one. Look back at verse one again with me. Here's what he says. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That, that phrase, be strengthened, means to be made strong. Paul's looking at Timothy and he's going, brother, you're going to have to gird up your loins. You're going to have to put on your big boy pants because this is going to be hard. And you're going to need all the strength you can muster to make this thing happen. Be made strong, he says. But I don't know if you notice this. This verb, it's a passive verb. It doesn't say strengthen yourself. It says be strengthened. Let me tell you what that means. It means that Paul understood what we need to understand. We cannot make ourselves strong enough for this task. We cannot pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and do this thing. We have to have someone outside of us working in us, making us strong. And that someone else is Jesus Christ. Look at what it says. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul's trying to teach Timothy, the only way you and I will have supernatural strength is when we are flooded and inundated with the grace that is in Christ Jesus. When we breathe in the gospel, when we inhale the gospel and let it transform every bit of who we are, that's what strengthens us. But did you see that nuance? He says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you what that means. That means if you ever hope to find strength, it is only when you abide in Christ. It is only when you spend time with Jesus. I think too often people think that they're spiritually mature. Well, if I could sing like Aaron, 
you know, and I could minister and use my voice. Well, that must be the height of spiritual maturity. Well, I see Reggie and he says those words and they're just always the perfect words, you know, to encourage me. He knows the word and that, that must be strength right there. And but these people behind me, they're, they're strong Christians, but it's not because they know a whole lot about the Bible, which they do. It's not because they, they try to be good people, which they try. It's not even because they've been going to church for a long time or because they use their gifts and they serve or whatever. Those are not what make them strong. And it's not what's going to make you or me strong either. What makes us strong is spending time sitting at the feet of Jesus, letting him whisper his love over us. What makes us strong is when we drink deep of the grace because we are in Christ Jesus. The measure of our spiritual strength has nothing to do with our tenure of faith. It has everything to do with our tenacity to sit at the feet of Jesus. That's what's going to change us and make us strong. So i got a question. I'm going to ask you guys this question too. And I want you to wrestle with it. You don't have to confess or raise your hand or anything like that. But I want you to wrestle. And you too watching this, I want you to wrestle with this question. Because it's abrasive. But I think it's needed. I want you to ask yourself, during this COVID-19 pandemic, when your world has altered so much, and for many of us, we've been given more time than we had before, are you spending more time with Jesus or less time with Jesus? Do you feel more connected or less connected to him during this pandemic? Because I, I think if we think about our lives, we have every opportunity. Most of us, uh, we, we have new uh, openness in our schedule we didn't have before. Like many of you have children, you used to have this schedule and that schedule, this game and that game, this school activity, that school activity, and all that came to a halt and it opened up some time. Many of you are working remotely, which means your commute is gone, your hours look different. This means you have new margin. But my question is, what are you doing with that new margin? Are you using it to drink more deeply of your relationship with Christ Jesus or are you finding new distractions to fill your schedule? Can, can I be honest with you? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and confess this to you guys too. I feel less connected, not more connected to, Je more connected to Jesus through this whole thing. I, I just want to confess that right now. I, I struggle with this. One, one of the things I used to do was I, I would walk around this, this room. You, you guys know that. I, I would pray on Fridays and I would cover every single seat, spend two hours on Fridays because I was preaching on Sunday. And so I would have, you know, the whole week to get the stuff done. And then really Friday and Saturday, I'm praying, I'm working on the sermon so I can deliver it on Sunday. Well, now we deliver them on Thursday nights. Well, let me tell you what that means. That means that, that those two hours of prayer are gone because now I'm preparing for the sermon for the next week. Everything is consolidated and crunched. So each week now I've got two hours less where I spend time in prayer before the Lord. And I didn't realize how disconnected that was making me. But when I don't spend time in Christ Jesus, I don't receive his strength. This is why I'm so excited about what I'm going to get to do this afternoon. I'm going to be taking a plane along with the rest of the lead team to Colorado where we're going to fast and pray for four days and reconnect with the Lord. Because I know I need to sit at his feet, take all the distractions away, take everything else away and just let him breathe his grace back into me because that's where my strength's going to come from. And I know I have to have strength to lead you, to, to lead this church, to be the person I need to be, to be the pastor of this church. And that only comes when I spend time with Christ Jesus. I want to encourage you guys to pray for me. Pray for our lead team that we would connect deeply with him and be strengthened by that. But let me also tell you, that's not just true of me. Kimena, that's true of you. Kyle, that's you. Aaron, Reggie, this, this, is, this is us. This is you watching this right now. It is true of you too. Your strength will come when you sit at the feet of Jesus and let him whisper his love over you. And there's some of you right now and you need that power. You need that strength. It comes by staying connected. 
If you want to join God in this wild adventure of changing the world, you got, first thing you got to do is you got to stay connected to the vine, to Christ. Second thing, though, that you need, if you want to be a part of this wild adventure, if you want to see God use you to change the world as you make disciples who make disciples, is you got to stay focused. You got to stay focused because this world is going to try to distract you. This world is going to try to pull you away from the task at hand. That's actually what Paul was getting at with Timothy in verses 3 through 6. He's telling him to stay focused at the assignment. Look back at those verses with me. 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. So what Paul's doing right here, he's giving three examples of the exact same basic truth to stay focused. He's saying you got to be single-minded in your assignment. God has called you to make disciples who make disciples, to give yourself to it. Don't let anything pull you off. First example is of the soldier. He says a soldier cannot get entangled in civilian pursuits. A soldier is at war. A soldier has an assignment, and if he wants to secure victory, he can't be off going to these other things that distract him from his role to secure the victory. A soldier stays focused. Athlete, same thing. An athlete must stay focused. He says an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that, that makes me sometimes think like he's saying, all right, you got to play by the rules, right? You know, obey during the game. You know, don't, don't go out of bounds. Don't, don't foul. Don't, you know, like we, we think he's talking about the rules of the game. But that's not actually what he's referring to. He's referring to what it meant to be an Olympic athlete back then. So in Paul's day, if you wanted to be an Olympic athlete, you had to, to fulfill a 10-month commitment to a hyper-disciplined training regimen. Here's what it meant. It had been for 10 straight months. You had to work out with some kind of training program somewhere between 8 to 12 hours every single day for 10 straight months. Or you couldn't even qualify to compete in the Olympic Games. Here's what that meant. It meant you couldn't go on a vacation. It meant you couldn't have an outside job. It meant you couldn't even maintain a family in that environment. You had to leave all of it to train. And there came a moment, if you wanted to compete in the Olympics, you had to swear before a group of people that you had completed the 10-month training regimen. You were focused. So what he's saying right here is if you want to play by the rules, if you want to even compete, then you've got to stay hyper-diligent, hyper-focused at the assignment. You can't ever let up. And then the third example he gives is that of the farmer. Now, obviously, you guys understand a farmer. Farmers are the hardest working people in the world. Farmers, they stay focused on the assignment. There are no lazy farmers because lazy farmers don't make it. A farmer gets up early. A farmer stays at the task, works until the day is done, and then goes to bed, gets up early the next morning, gets right back at the task. A farmer is going to be focused on the assignment. And he's saying, believers, Reggie, I want you to stay focused, man. I don't want you to get off. I want you to give every bit of who you are to this assignment. Don't be distracted by all these other things that want to get after you. Stay at the task of making disciples who make disciples who make disciples because that's how you change the world. Stay focused. Now, I know there are some of you and when you hear this kind of sermon, you're like, yeah, preach it, Jason. Rah, rah, let's do this thing. There are many of you who will jump in. In fact, at the end of the service, I'm going to give you a chance to jump into this. There were many of you, praise the Lord, who back in January and February when we had our sermon series about discipleship, you joined a D group. In fact, there are many of you right now who are completing that six-month foundations D group. Praise God for it. But there are a whole lot of you who've put pause on this discipleship time. It could be, and Kyle was talking to you a second ago, it could be the, the leader that was leading and moved away. All right, so we're on pause for a little bit. Could be a time of transition. Could, could be some change. Maybe 
well, I'm just waiting to get to the other side of this pandemic. Then I'll get into it or whatever excuse we can all come up with. But I think the biggest reason why we stall out, why we fail, is because we lose hope. You know, what happens is, Reggie, you're, you're leading your D group right now and you're after and you're investing in these guys and giving yourself to them. And after a while, you're going, I don't see any change. They still bring up the same one thing that they're not doing every single time we meet. I never get it done. I'm not seeing development. I'm not seeing transition. And we get discouraged. We lose hope. Or maybe it's me. I feel like every week I'm confessing the same sins. Every week I'm saying, I'm going to do that one thing. I know I didn't do it the last four sessions, but I'm going to do that one. I feel like I'm, I'm not changing. And I start to lose hope. And hope is the fuel that will keep us going when things get hard. And this is what Paul wanted to tell Timothy. Saying, Timothy, you got to stay connected. Timothy, you got to stay focused. But there's a third thing you got to stay you got to stay hopeful. Don't let your hope run out because the moment your hope runs out, that's when you lose the will to go on and you give up the fight. In fact, verses 8 through 13, where Paul trying to infuse Timothy with hope. Let's read these verses together as we finish up the passage this morning. It says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. I love how he starts off with these, these three words, Aaron. The first three things he says, man, these get me going right here. He says, here's the secret sauce to make this thing happen. Remember Jesus Christ. That's what you got to do if you want to change this world. Remember Jesus Christ. He was looking at Timothy and he was saying, Timothy, remember who Jesus is. Jesus is God in the flesh. All of divinity come down to this earth. But he was also in the flesh. He was a man. It says he was the offspring of David. He was the Messiah, the one of the royal line who was expected to come. He was the one who was willing to be cruelly tortured, rejected by his people, hung on a cross to pay for our sins. He was the lamb who was slaughtered and who was laid into a cold, dark tomb because of our misconduct. But like this passage says, he was the one that the grave could not contain. He was the one that rose up from the grave and proved that he was the risen king. Hallelujah. I'm going to get a little excited over here if I keep going right now. He is the risen king. Remember Jesus Christ. He is the one who did all this for us. Remember him. Now, here's the reason why Paul wanted Timothy to remember Jesus Christ. Because Paul knew it was about to get really hard for Timothy. Paul, I guess, divulged by the Spirit, knew that Timothy at some point was going to be incarcerated. He was going to be in prison for his faith. I'd, I'd never noticed this before, but I, I read Hebrews 13, 23. And it's a small little thing. It says that Timothy had been released from prison. So that means Paul was right. He knew Timothy was going to be in prison. Sure enough, it was going to happen. And Paul, the consummate sufferer, the one who had been imprisoned over and over and over again, knew that if Timothy was going to be able to endure all this imprisonment and struggle and strife, he was going to, he was going to need to remember Jesus Christ. He was going to be connected back to the root, the gospel of Jesus. Paul was acquainted with suffering. In fact, if you look back at verse 9, he says, I'm suffering bound with chains, it says, as a criminal. That word criminal in Greek is a technical term. It, def it defines the most vile of all human beings. It refers to murderers, to traitors, to thieves. It, it was the same word that was used describing the two thieves 
the two criminals that were crucified with Jesus, one on his right, one on his left. Same word used to describe Barnabas, or who was uh, the insurrectionist who was released. This is talking about these people who were, Barabbas, I'm sorry, who were condemned as the worst people in the world. This was the word, the term that was used of the Apostle Paul as well. And Paul says, I know what it means to be pushed down, to be thought of as the dregs of society, to be cast around like you're worth nothing, thrown into a cold, dark jail cell. I know what it means to suffer, but I love what Paul says. He says back in verse nine, I know that I'm bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, you can chain the messenger, but you can't chain the message. This is going to get out there. The gospel is going to spread. He says, I can endure being called a criminal. I can endure pain and suffering and incarceration, whatever the world, the world may throw at me, because I know this will not stop with me. I know the gospel will go out and it will change this world. This sick, twisted world that needs to be healed will be healed when I do what I need to do. In fact, what I love about this, this is so cool. I, I didn't notice this until I was really studying this. He says, not in spite of my chains, but because of my chains, the world's going to be changed. Back in verse 10, he says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. I endure these chains, this suffering, because it will lead to their salvation. See, Paul knew that when people saw him suffer for the name of Jesus, they would say, why would anyone suffer for that man? They would be drawn in to hear the gospel message and the gospel would transform them because of the chains, not in spite of them. It would change the world. And therefore, Paul could endure because he knew there was a reward. It would be worth it. And he says, Timothy, you're going to endure hardship. Remember Jesus Christ. He had to go to the cross, but what came next? Resurrection. Remember me. I had to go to prison, but what came next? The transformation of the world. Don't give up. And then he finishes in verse 11 through 13 with the greatest promise of all. Timothy, if for nothing else, all you need to know is this. There's a reward for what you're going to do, and that reward is eternal. Look back at those verses again. Read verses 11 through 13. He says, the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So this beautifully poetic passage right here, Paul is telling Timothy something really important. He's saying there's no gray in this decision of who you're going to serve. It is black and white. You are going to serve God, serve Jesus Christ, or you're going to be against Jesus Christ. There's no middle ground. That's why he says we have to die with him. We have to endure with him. What that's talking about is we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow after Jesus. That's what it means to die with him and to endure with him. It means to deny ourselves, take on the scorn of the cross, and follow after Jesus. But you notice what it says later. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Paul is going back to what Jesus said. This was back in Matthew chapter 10, one of the scariest passages of all, right? If, if we're ashamed, Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'm going to be ashamed of you before the Father. If that doesn't scare the heebie-jeebies out of you, then you need to wake up. That's a scary thought. He's, he's, he's shooting straight with us. If we deny him, then he will deny us. Now, I don't want to put undue fear in you. That, that doesn't mean you got to be perfect. That's why I love verse 13. I mean, this is such a beautiful verse. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You know what that means? It means we don't have to be perfect. I, I think about Peter. There was a moment when Peter was faithless, when his faith 
gave out underneath him. And he denied even knowing Jesus three times. But if you know the story, Jesus was so faithful. I love it. I, I had the, the opportunity to go to the Holy Land one time and I got to see the very place where Jesus restored Peter. And the reality of that moment struck me. Here was this man who had failed miserably and Jesus out of love and the resurrection came to him and said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He restored him, let him declare his love. Why? Because he was faithful even when Peter was faithless. You don't have to be perfect, but you compare that with Judah. Now Judas was totally different. Judas was the man who utterly denied Jesus entirely. He didn't just have a shortage of faith. He believed Jesus was not truly the Messiah and rejected him. And his end was he was denied by Jesus as well. There's a difference between Peter and Judas. And this word is telling us that decision lays before us. And it comes down to who we're going to deny. Are we going to deny ourselves? Or are we going to deny Jesus? There is no in-between. That's the choice we have. So here's a question I have for you if you're watching this right now. Who are you denying? Are you denying yourself? Or are you denying Jesus? Because you're denying one of those two. Listen, I, I, I'm, here's what I'm afraid of. Guys, this, this is sincerely, like this burdens my heart. I feel like so often we're quick to look out at the world and see how screwed up they are and go, man, if they would just change, if they would get their act together, they would stop being so hateful and political and racist or whatever. If they would just change, then everything would be okay. And we don't realize the problem isn't out there in the world. The problem's right here in our heart. The problem is we're so accusing them because we see the sin in them. We see the speck in their eyes. We can't see the plank in our own eye. Our sin is consuming us and destroying us. And we're so busy living for ourselves, we're denying Christ so that we can live for us. There's a choice we have to make. Your heart needs to be healed. And the only one who can heal your heart is Jesus Christ. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to make the choice that will change everything for you. I think there are some of you watching this and you know you keep messing up your life. You keep making bad decisions. Selfishness keeps getting you and you can't find freedom from it. Well, what the word of God is telling you to do is to stop fighting against Jesus. Deny yourself. Place your faith in Christ and let him heal you from the inside out. You want to know how to change the world? Become a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples of Jesus, who makes disciples of Jesus. That's when the world has changed. That's when we're able to stand up and defend one another in love. When we're able to speak truth in kindness instead of with hate. When we have our hearts changed one by one, person by person, that's when the world changes. So you want to change the world? It starts with your own heart. Are you willing to confess your sin? Confess your rebellion. Place your faith in Christ. Let him transform you. Let him take over Lord because you want to deny yourself trusting he can control your life better than you can. Are you willing to take that step of faith? It's really easy. The word of God says you've got to cry out to him. You've got to confess your sin. You've got to ask him to take control of your life. We would love to help you make that step of faith. So if you're ready, to find God in your life, to watch Christ transform your heart, to give you new hope, to give you a fresh start, then you've got to reach out to them. And you can reach out to him by reaching out to us and letting us partner with you as pastors. So here's what you can do. If you're ready to start this life with Christ, to enter in this relationship with Christ, then we would love to connect with you by phone, text, whatever you need. You just text the word next step to the number 94253. You see it right there on your screen, next step to 94253, or you can go to our website, fueler.org slash next step. And there's a brief little form you fill out. I promise you it'll take just 
a couple seconds, basic information, but that allows us to connect with you so we can call you, pray with you, help you take the step of faith. But listen, we do this every single week and I'm gonna ask that number to stay up there for a while. I I want you to wrestle with this because I'm afraid you're gonna go, maybe I'll do that later or maybe next week or or he's not talking to me, he's talking to someone. No, I'm talking to you, watching this right now, you. God is working in your heart and you can feel it, but you're not taking a step. Would you be willing to take a step of faith? Text the, the word next step to 94253. Go to filter.org next step. Let us know so we can pray with you and help you enter into that relationship with Christ that will change your life. Ultimately, that will change the world. Please take that. But I also know there are many of you watching this, you guys back here, you're going, okay, but what about me, Jason? I've taken that step. I've placed my faith in Jesus. What do I do? Well, if you are a follower of Jesus who's declared faith in Christ, then you have a mission that's been given to you by God. And that mission is to go invest in someone else it's who can invest in someone else, who can invest in someone else. It is to do what verse 2 said and trust what you've been given into other people who can entrust it into other people. And so the word of God can spread. The gospel can spread. It means you have an assignment to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So here's what I ask you to do. I want to ask you to be a part of what we're doing here at Fielder. We have a great mechanism in our D groups, our discipleship groups. We have all different kinds of discipleship groups. We have foundation groups. We have growth groups. We have leadership groups, different levels for wherever you are. And I want to encourage you to sign up to be a part of one of these groups. You can do so just by going to our website, fielder.org slash dgroups, and you can get connected with all the information that you need. It gives you the, the link to the app that you get on your phone that you can connect with a leader. Everything you need to get signed up for one of these groups. Now, I also want to talk to those of you who've been in a group, who are presently in a group. I know it gets hard. I know there are some of you trying to wait out the pandemic. Let me go ahead and give you a heads up. The pandemic's going to win if you try to wait it out. This ain't going anywhere anytime soon. We're going to be in this for a while. And so we got to figure out how to do life in the middle of this pandemic. One of the greatest things about D groups, we can do them over Zoom, over Microsoft Teams, over whatever. My D group meets over Zoom and it's phenomenal because we're able to talk and pray and have accountability. Don't wait. Jump back in. If you finished a group, let us know that you're ready to be a leader because we're going to have people this Sunday who are going to sign up for groups and we need to launch those. If you're finishing up the groups that we started in January or February, then get ready. You're going to be contacted by one of the coaches, the D group coaches. Let them know that you're ready to launch back into this thing. Don't wait this pandemic out. In the middle of the pandemic, make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Listen, we're going to end with this. I'm going to pray and then we're just going to have a, a brief couple of last words for you from our host And that's going to be it. We wanted to end with this time so that you have a chance to take the steps you need, whether that's to follow Christ by going to next step at 94253 or whether that's going to filler.org slash dgroups and finding out about how to be a part of it. Whatever step you need to take, take that step. Don't miss this opportunity. Let me pray for us and we'll be done. God, I'm so grateful. Grateful that you loved us enough to send your son Jesus to bleed and die on a cross so that we could be redeemed. That even when we're faithless, even when we're short, God, even when we don't measure up, you still love us. You're faithful to us. Thank you, God, that you give us strength and power when we abide in Christ. Oh, God, use us to transform this world. Help us stop complaining about the brokenness of this world and to start doing something about it the same way Jesus did by making disciples who make disciples. Use us, your church. God, we